One is a twisting tale of murder, lies, and ill-gotten gains. The other is exactly that, but, like, interesting. The Maltese Falcon. There he made it. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of They Remade It. I'm your host, Stuart. And I'm your host, Jacob. And if you can hear it in my voice, I am somehow still in the the last legs of the grip, as it were. Um, I, I still have some either allergies or drainage from previous illness, so if I sound stopped up, that's why. Uh, I, got, uh, I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just... My I'm my body is not... My, my sinuses don't like me right now, as always. Uh, yes, um, I, same. I get it. So it's slowly going away, and as with this cold front that appears to have hit the American South appears to just not be stopping immediately. It's just doing hell on my sinuses anyway. So Ooh, rough. It is sweltering here. <laughs> it's been, it's been pretty cool here for the last few days. I've had to constantly switch back and forth between heat and AC on my, on my machine. So, Oh man. Yeah. I've had it on cool for the past week and a half. I think since we got all those really bad storms, you know, right after that. Mm. We're, actually, we're actually getting a storm now. So if, if you hear that in the background, that's what it is. Oh no. That's all right. But, you know, once again, talking about the weather, yada, yada. It's always good. Well, why don't, okay, you don't like talking about the weather so much. Why don't you talk about something else? What have you been been Uh, up to? (laughs) Yes, what have I been watching slash playing? Well, um, as far as playing, uh, I finally went and did the thing. I, for a long time, just kind of swore off out of principle and decided to try No Man's Sky after all this time. You know, the controversial title that it was and still is. it's, if I remember correctly, the early criticisms of this game were the fact that there was hardly anything in it and that it was a really repetitive grind fest on all these different things. Now, having started it and played it for maybe a few hours, I have been hit over the head with everything from resource gathering slash management to personal survival base building to assisting in building like settlements and colonies to owning your own freight, freight shipping business to understanding the origin of like life itself to understanding the current process of the universe and also like intergalactic or interstellar trade it's it's a lot it's a lot (laughs) and i don't i am maybe understand like at all times i'm maybe understanding 10 percent of it and then i'll start doing a thing that i think is story related and it will just throw the most esoteric sentences at me relating to something about the universe or whatever and it feels like i should know like 800 other things before learning all these things and has a really common issue of the main character like has their own voice technically like they'll describe things in text box as they experience things but you as the player do not experience the same things like it'll say i looked into this monitor and was filled with this vision of a great world dying in the birth and rebirth of the universe meanwhile i'm still just standing there staring at a computer screen and beneath it there's a text box describing this and meanwhile there's just a glitchy animal in the background i'm like i wish i could be seeing that right now as it is i'm just standing here so it's a mixed bag so far um they say i'm trying to 
Yeah, I'm trying to find like a line of logic or like a line of gameplay loop that I personally enjoy. And I think it's just kind of the thing I got to stick with right now. I'm just enjoying kind of like the general, like establishing like a, like there's an existing settlement that's having issues that you can become an overseer of, which was extremely easy, by the way. There's a lot of moments in it where it's like, oh, I saved this freighter from a, like three pirates. Cool. Do you want to now own this freighter? I'm like, uh, sure. <laughs> and same with this of, oh, we had a few random robots running around here kind of causing issues. Do you want to be the mayor? It's like, uh, okay. <laughs> sure, I guess. <laughs> it, it's just, it's throwing so much at me. And there's a whole thing with like building like, ships like like vehicles and things i haven't found anything about and like it's so hard to track everything it's just like i don't i'm just taking it like tiny bite-sized pieces at a time and it's even that's still difficult um i mean that certainly is a lot that it sounds like they've had, like, how long did you nick and i play like three hours oh. or something and we barely mm. it felt like we did nothing i mean i gotta be real having described all this i still feel like i've done nothing i don't know what the <laughs> hell's going on like, I've just been, these things, I've been thrown into these situations more than doing anything. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a, but I remember, I remember that, like, the first few hours, yeah, it is jack shit. I was dumped on a planet with lethally hot oxygen and, like, had to, like, run from cave to cave to figure out anything. And eventually left and finally found a really good world, except it was covered with horrible robots. And every now and then it, it rained acid, like, literally just rained acid for a while. I'm like, all right, this is. Still only the fourth worst planet at most. <laughs> I mean, it, so it sounds like they are making improvements. It just sounds like they still don't have... It, it sounds like the game still doesn't have a general purpose. And I know even since the beginning, the purpose is, like, make it to the center of the universe. But, like, is that, like, a story? Even that, is that, like, I, even that I'm not sure, because it's not established as the main line. It's just kind of like saying this esoteric thing of, I don't know whether I'm, like, a god or something, or everyone is a god or something. I don't know what's going on. And, like... Even to say that the game has improved feels wrong. It just feels like they've got more shit in it. The game itself is still very broken. I like consistently I, I played on Xbox every like two hours. I full crash like it just crashes and I go back to it. Like it saves pretty often. So it's not that big of a problem, but it crashes all the time. And like I'll just be pressing buttons and you have to do like that press and hold a button to interact with an object. And sometimes as the meter's going up, it just stops and I have to hold it for longer and then it just keeps going. And then I'm like, what? I, it's, just, like, it's so fucking janky. And I, again, like I said, to say it has been improved feels wrong. It just feels like there's more shit to do, which I guess I, covers it up a little. I was going to say, I I haven't heard a lot about like the jankiness and the brokenness aside from like glitching animals or plants or whatever, because everything's, you know, generated on the fly more or less. Um, but one of the big concern, one of the big complaints was just there's nothing to do. And it sounds like they have quote unquote improved that by providing you everything to do. Um, yeah. But there's still, like, you still have to constantly manage resources and, like, every single, like, crafting recipe gets, like, exponentially more convoluted, it feels like. And a lot of resources, you have to go to other planets. And if you want to go back to the original planet where you needed the resource for the thing you're going to craft, you have to have some level of teleportation tech or a lot of extra fuel. And you have to make sure you marked it earlier because there's no proper map system. And because everything's constantly regenerated, it might just get glitched out and leave entirely. It's like... <laughs> It's like, I wanted to build one building on this one planet, and I have to go three star systems over to find <laughs> copper. Which, that's an exaggeration, but it feels that way sometimes. Oh, well, um, <laughs> that sounds right. So well, I don't right, know if I'm in, I don't know if I'm enjoying it yet. I am still, I am several hours in. I do not know yet. Um, the story I am probably going to ignore almost entirely, because it seems like a convoluted, overly preachy mess, and 
it's I don't know. It feels like it's doing a lot of very hand wavy. Like, what is the nature of reality bullshit? That's like middle school level English. I'm like, all right, let's let's just move on. I just want to play in the fun space game. You don't have to talk to me about like like eighth grade philosophy. Uh, so it's got its charms. I just don't. I don't think it. People need to keep. I think they can move on to another project now. I think they've done enough. I think we can just leave it as is because this thing's still a broken mess. <laughs> well, I hope um, everyone enjoyed the first of what is soon to be an epic saga. Tune in next time for shit, No Man's Sky update. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? I might keep this going. Um, but yeah, that's one thing I've been doing for the last few weeks. Um, otherwise, as far as games go, I haven't really found a, found a whole lot to sink my teeth into. Um, it's just I just haven't had a whole lot of extra time for it anyway. Um that's really taking up the bulk of my time, just No Man's Sky and just figuring it out. <laughs> um, as far as movies and stuff go, though, um, continue to be watching Futurama, which you lied to me. It's not seven seasons. On Hulu, it's ten. Well, Hulu is wrong is the problem. I. <laughs> uh, well, well, firstly, Hulu new episodes of Futurama are coming very soon, so it's going to be more than that. But I'm pretty sure that the four direct-to-video movies, they broke each one of those up into its own season. I'm like, well, that's not a season. That's a movie. That you turn into multiple episodes. I mean, on Hulu, they on Hulu the big movie things they split up into their separate episodes. Like it's to be continues at the end of each one, right? Which which they did. And to be fair, the DVDs were produced in such a way that you could air them on TV as individual episodes. I just think it's disingenuous to call that a season. I don't know. That's my own personal <laughs> thought, though. Uh, but yeah, there were four seasons on Fox, and there were two on Comedy Central. And where's the seventh? Oh, that's, that's a good six. question. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, like, <laughs> I think, but I think their numbers might just be off in general. I mean, in general, I do. I do know for a fact <laughs> that Comedy Central only had two, and, and Fox ended pretty early, so six or seven, somewhere around there. Anyways, anywho, yeah, we we continue to be watching those. Um, I've been I've been liking the later the later episodes. I think I honestly enjoy them more than the older stuff, um, like the Fox era. Um, oh wow. Yeah, no, I just, for whatever reason I just think they're funnier. Um, but it's it's like if it's like if um, Rick and Morty weren't full of itself. Um, but um, beyond that, as far as movies go, it's actually been um, I've actually been slowly introducing Hannah to Wes Anderson films, um, which has been fun. If you've if you've seen any of his stuff, I have. We we've talked in the past before about yes, your true, your yes. love for him. You've definitely seen yes. more of his than I have, but I, I've seen a few. I've only honestly prior to this, I've only seen I think three of his thing of his movies, maybe four. Um, yeah, the, the three the, the three I know I had seen was Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, and Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, and we've just recently I right I rewatched but showed her for the first time Grand Budapest. Um, and then we both watched for the first time The Life Aquatic, which was one of his earlier ones. Um, Steve Zizu yep. Zizo. <laughs> yep, as uh, Zizo Zizu Zizo. Zizu. That was it. Ooh. Um, but yeah, that one was pretty good. It's cool seeing his style a bit earlier on and seeing it not quite as refined. It seems like he was like having fun with a few more item uh, elements of it. Um, I hope he hasn't gotten too stuck to his own style now, because um, then the trailer for the new Asteroid City, his next film, uh, came out not too long ago, and it looks pretty good. It definitely seems very much his thing, though. But honestly, I think I've kind of hit the, the the best one in my opinion is Grand Budapest. I think that kind of hit his shit as good as it ever will. Um, and I still stand by that after seeing some of his earlier stuff. Um, I still haven't seen French Dispatch, which is the thing that came after Grand Budapest. Um, but, you know, I just need to keep going through that catalog. Um, 
But then other than that, uh, the only other thing, major thing I've seen is actually I got together with my own D&D group and we went to go see the D&D movie, um, which was actually a lot of fun. I, I thought it was pretty good. I've been, I've been hearing that a lot of people liked it. It kind of, unfortunately, I think it was number one at the box office for its for uh, the first five day. But you know, John Wick Chapter Four and the Mario Brothers movie just immediately destroyed it. But I, 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 I mean, heard yeah, a lot of people liked it. So yeah, I think it's a good solid film. I've, I've seen people kind of shit on it a little bit, saying like, "Oh, it's just like it's Marvelized. Everything's joking and everything." Meanwhile, reviewers who have actually played D and D are like, "Yeah, no, this is what D and D feels like." <laughs> like, and again, having also played D and D, yeah, that's what it felt like. It was it was really good. Um, it's obviously like, you know, it's not high art or anything. It's just, it's having fun with the concept. I like that a lot of it's kind of also trying to take nods at maybe like 80, like 70s and 80s fantasy films and everything. Like they have a lot of, obviously in D&D, there's a lot of like non-human races and they're present in the movie as well, but they're actually portrayed with like, you know, those old school kind of suits and like kind of janky kind of mouth movie headpieces and everything. Like not quite Jim Henson level, but kind of in that vein. Um, like just clearly these fake plastic things with like weird moving mouths and everything for like lizard people and like bird folk and that sort of thing. But honestly, I think it fits the charm really well. It's definitely not trying to be too serious about it. It's trying to actually enjoy its time on screen. It shows it, it's not trying to set the world on fire. It just did a damn good job, which it's so amazing to me recently how many movies have been my favorite for that fact alone, that it's just trying to make a decent movie and not taking itself too seriously. It's like, all right, cool. I, like that's, between between that and the menu uh, just being like this is what we're doing here's how we do it well that's it that i you know what yeah that's good to hear i'm glad to hear that people are liking it i i obviously i have yet to see it i got of either the last time i went to the theater or the time before that i got a trailer for it and the trailer was in my opinion uh very bad <laughs> so i was the trailers like, oh, aren't, this doesn't look great the trailers aren't great um Honestly, though, all the main cast do a friggin' stellar job acting. Like, obviously, again, it's none of it's meant to be too serious, but they all do really good jobs, and there's a lot of actually genuinely heartfelt moments. Um, Hugh Grant's fantastic as, like, kind of the semi-main villain. Um, there's there's a wider thing going on, but honestly, it seems like his deal is kind of the more immediate issue, which is, on, he's just this, you know, just constantly smiling, roguish douchebag, and it's just pretty hilarious all throughout. Um yeah, I think I think the whole the whole you know cast of folks did a really good job and actually made some you know pretty good references to the source material. Um, I don't know a lot of it myself, but you know I'm getting there. Oh, very very nice and hey potential future episode. So oh shit, you're right. The Jeremy Irons oh, one from like 2001 or something. Oh god, yeah, I forgot that was a thing. That's gonna be fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give me an excuse to actually see this new movie. But uh, I mean, go for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the extent of my thing. Sorry, I took so much time with you know No Man's Sky. You can cut that down if you need to. No, that no, that's fine. You took as long to explain as the the game has content. <laughs> it's fine. Oh. Everything maps. It's, um, it's given. I gave more explanation than that tutorial ever gave me. <laughs> I I also believe that. Unfortunate that they have not progressed past that point. Oh, but uh, I've been I've been playing some stuff. I've been watching some stuff. Uh, the main thing on the play front is I did. Uh, I was actually playing it before we recorded the last episode, but I hadn't gotten very far because I had to stop. But I finally finished uh, Pizza Tower just yesterday. Um, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen that around. Which was a lot of uh, a lot of fun. It, it, it's the first game that I was fully aware of the development cycle for. Like, I, I uh, followed the guy, uh, well, one of the guys that was working on it on Twitter. 
I guess. And so I would see updates for it, and I was like, oh, this this looks like a lot of fun. I can't wait to play it when it comes out. You know, that sort of momentum-based platformy style, very Wario-esque. Yeah, kind of got that, like, rat rod art style and everything. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, it, it, that game's a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it, it's not a difficult game, uh, especially to beat, but it is a very difficult game to master. I'm going to be spending mm-hmm. a lot of time... In the future, on and off, I think, getting S and P ranks. It's like you have to go through the entire stage. Don't lose your combo. You know, uh, hit oh. all the secrets. Collect all the toppings. It's like, okay, okay. Let me, then, pro- let me process. <laughs> and that actually, like, actually did remind me there actually was one other game I've been playing that is in a very similar vein. Uh, Hi-Fi Rush, um, if you've heard anything oh, about yeah. that one. Of course. Um, it is a fantastic gem of a game. I think it's perfect in almost every way. I am so goddamn bad at it. <laughs> I'm so... <laughs> terrible at it. I'll see people getting into fights getting like 70,000 points and I'm like how did you break 20? <laughs> it's just, I'm not good at spectacle fighters but I love this game so much so it's kind of a rough mix <laughs> I basically I just I try to get I get to the point where I'm the best at the game where I can possibly be and I get what I want out of it and I'm like you know what I mastered it even though technically I have not like another thing I'm, I'm not going to go too in depth to it because it's a very old game that I've played multiple times before but I finally actually completed Braid because oh, wow. at least on on Steam, one of the achievements for uh, completion is to go through the entire game and complete it, fully complete it. You know, collect all the puzzle pieces and everything in under forty five minutes. And oh. I I watched a guy speed run it in like twenty six minutes. And oh. I after watching this this full speed run, I then proceeded to play through the entire game three times in a row, and my best time was like. Forty-one minutes, I think, and I'm like, you know what? I mastered the game, <laughs> and then I put it away. <laughs> it doesn't matter that guy has me beat by like 17, 18 minutes. It's fine. Speedrunners are a different breed entirely, and I fear them. Yeah, I, I, I could never speedrun anything, even the games that I hold the most dear. There's not enough time. The people that the people that put true fear in my hearts are people that can speedrun GeoGuessr. <laughs> well, they're just very uh, they're worldly. That that's it. <laughs> They've seen that sign before. It's it's so freaky. Oh, but yeah, uh, that's pretty much it on the video games front. Uh, I've played a bunch of other stuff, but uh, nothing really worth noting. Uh, As far as watching, I kind of had a little. uh, First off, I I had a little two thousand early two thousands animation fest just uh, because I did the Disney thing since Disney Plus launched a couple years ago and went through like their entire catalog. Uh, of, I was very worried Disney. there for a second where you said early 2000s, like, okay, where is this going? There could be, there is a lot of bad shit in the beginning of that, but then you said animation, I was like, oh, thank God. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, well, there's still a lot of bad shit, and I'll get into that. Uh, oh, but yeah, yeah I, I did that, and then I did the Shrek thing unintentionally last year, though there's not near as much Shrek to go to. It was still a pain. Um, and I Since I never want to hear out of context what? doing the Shrek thing. <laughs> I did the Despicable Me thing, too, and I don't know why. It's just like, well, I haven't seen like any of these all the way through. It's probably time that I just did it. So, you didn't have to do that. No, I didn't like, have to. It was just a thing that kind of <laughs> happened. But anyways, I, I went through a bunch of early two thousand stuff. Things I've seen before, things I haven't seen since I was a kid, and it ranged from fantastic to middling to horrendous, just awful. Like, for example, robots I saw for the first time since since I was a kid. You know, and I was like, you know what? Yeah. I thought this, I thought this would be worse than this is. It's fine. Robots is a fine movie. It is. It is not terrible. <laughs> Even I thought it would be awful, and it's not. Um, and then I I watched the third of the uh, Ardman uh, DreamWorks joint pictures flushed away their first CG one, and I was like, oh, this is just as awful as I thought it would be. Yeah, you know, of course. so 
Um, yeah, and uh, I won't go into one of these movies that I watched. Maybe that's too big a hint, but uh, because I want to do an episode on it in the future, uh, because we can. Uh, and that kind of goes into other movie talk, because I also watched uh, another movie that I won't be discussing, because uh, I want to talk about it uh, in the future. But oh, All right, um, then. That's two things I watched that I'm like, oh, we're just going to do episodes on these. I'm going to force it. And um, that yeah. moves into the theater stuff. I saw Scream 6. Uh, I think we recorded the last episode the night before I was going to see it, and I even mentioned on the show I was going to see it. Um, oh, yeah. So I went to the theaters, and I saw that. And you know what? It's it's pretty good. Um, it, it's, it's funny because all of the Scream movies follow the same formula, which isn't saying a lot for horror, but the fact that it's, it's a meta-narrative on horror movies as a whole... It means it's pretty inventive until you start getting up to movie five, movie six, and it's like, how inventive can you be when you're just becoming a part of the meta you're making fun of, you know? Yeah. But I do think that they actually take it in interesting places. They have mix-ups, and they deliberately defy horror movie franchise rules, quote-unquote, that are established in the movie, uh, which is kind of a first for the Scream series that I can think of, because the Scream series is heavily reliant on you need to know your horror movies or else things aren't going to play out for you. And this is the first one where it set, that I can think of. It's been a while since I've seen 4 and the others. Um, but this is the first one that I can think of where it's like, here are the established rules. That does not always mean anything. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, Honestly, surprised it took them this long to start doing that. True. Though I guess it was forever and a day between 3 and 4 and then 5 was just like, Last year, I think, was Scream 5, wasn't it? Like, over the summer or something? Because I, I remember when the Scream 6 trailer came out, we talked about it on the show, and I was like, I, Scream 5 was, like, a great ending, and it put a, to rest, like, the Legacy thing. I can't believe they're making another one. Uh, but yeah, it turned yeah. out pretty good. Unfortunately, uh, some Legacy characters do come back. Not that it's a horrible thing, and they're fine actors, but I'm like, can we please just get away from, like, the nostalgia baiting? I don't really think it's necessary at this point. Um, it's fine to have characters from Scream 5 that were iterated on in Scream 5 show up. I don't mind that. It's just like the, oh, look, Courtney Cox is doing more things. I'm like, okay, sure. Fine, I guess. Well, the actress is still getting work, at least. That's true. Uh, but yeah, I, overall, I think it's good. I think it's a good movie. Uh, Brad. And I, I think most people I don't, would agree. I don't want to do an episode on that one. That's going to be too much work. I'm not going to have us do an episode where we watch six movies. Don't worry. That's I think also not... we couldn't, though, because they're not remakes, or and they're not overdue sequels. They're just a lot of sequels. That's true, because four was within the 15 year, which is our cutoff. It, it was within yeah. the time frame. So. We just went by a lot of fucking sequels. We'd have to deal with Fast and Furious. True. Ugh, true. I would not. I, I would actually refuse. You could do that on your own. <laughs> oh, if, uh, if I ever asked to do that, I need you to come find me and shoot me, because I've been taken by a body snatcher. Uh, will do. And um, finally, something else I saw in the theater, and for the first time ever, I've talked about it in the past, how I've gotten to a theater and I was so close to being just alone in a theater, and then someone comes in and some guy's sitting in the back coughing. For the first time it happened, completely alone in the theater for the entire runtime. Why is that? Hallelujah. <laughs> because I saw Adam Driver's awfully named 65. Oh no, my man. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Well, it was a Sunday morning, and I didn't have much going on, and I was like, you know what? I'm free today. I'm just going to go to the theater and, you know, see what comes. And that was playing at a relatively decent time. I had, I, I had seen some on it, and it didn't really look like my thing. But I do like Adam Driver, uh, even in those awful Star Wars movies. Well, I say awful as if they're all awful, but, you know, the, the Star Wars movies. Like, I, I like Adam Driver. 
So I was like, I'll watch it, sure. And, uh, ugh. yeah. I mean, my Not first great. real problem is the title is like a horrible title. Yeah, it's about the worst, the worst titles I've ever seen. Yeah, literally, you have no idea what that means at all. Unless like, you see there's the trailer. no connotation to it, unless you see the trailer. And and then I think they were worried about that because literally the movie starts with the title flashing on screen, and then below it it says a million years ago. And I'm like, you, <laughs> someone got skittish. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just it's it's weird because it it does some cool things in the movie. It's just it's bogged down by a lot of waiting for dino action and then dino action's not coming and you're like when are we going to get to the dinosaur factory you know and yeah these two main characters Adam Driver and the girl I, I forget her name uh, they're the only leads they don't speak the same language because he he's like carrying these people on like a, a passenger ship or whatever so she's from a different planet so they they can't speak the same language and they don't understand each other but they don't do anything with it so it, it's just frustrating because there's verbal misunderstandings that aren't leading to like mischief or chaos really it's just it's just him having to repeat himself and like do little sign motions to tell her to go upstream and get water like i at least do something with that if you're gonna pull it in or else why you can have your conflict come through in some other way you both speak english but you're lying to her about something like i'm getting a lot of get it I'm getting a lot of M. Night Shyamalan's After Earth vibes from this, ironically, oh. considering this is before Earth. <laughs> I don't even want to think about After Earth ever again. Yeah, so, sorry, I, I have, I have, cur- I have cursed this this recording session already. Um, That's okay. But, but like I said, there are cool things. There is some cool dinosaur stuff. There's some cool like scenes that would fit into a horror, like a well-made horror movie. I think you know, just shots that are shot well. And there's one that I really like where um, it's not really spoiling anything, even though it's at the halfway point of the movie, but it's also 65. So who cares? But Adam driver has this little machine that he pulls out uh, because it's too dark in this cave and it maps the perimeter and displays on a little holographic screen, like his surroundings and that's how he learns that there's like this it's not like a velociraptor but there's some kind of dinosaur right behind him that he can't see and it attacks him and the 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 machine drops and you can't really see them fighting because it's so dark but occasionally there will be a flash of light while they're fighting and the camera's also rotating around this machine so you see them fighting through the holograms and just the way it's staged i'm like i really like this scene this is a good scene too bad it took us 45 awful minutes to get to this good scene Okay, here's a question I have to ask, and you can spoil as little or as much as you want with it. Um, does the fact of them being what I assume to be ancient humans, pre-human on Earth civilization, does that have any bearing on the plot as a whole, and has any explanation as to why there are ancient humans on this planet in an alien spaceship? Yes and no. Uh, I'll spoil as much as I want without just going too far into it for time reasons, but like they, they are aliens. He's from a different planet. And he was transporting all these people, including the little girl who is from a different planet. They just all happen to look humanoid. And they get hit by an asteroid belt and crash on dinosaur Earth. And they have to... Well, one, they're just trying to make it off of Earth because who wants to be in this hellscape with all these dinosaurs running around? But then also, it's like, oh, my machine tells me that the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs is about to strike the Earth. So we gotta get off the Earth. Uh, And they don't stay there. So it's not like they populate the planet, which would be gross because she's like a little girl. But, you know, it's so they're not even like early humans. They just are humanoid figures from another planet who just happen to wind up on Dino Earth and then leave before they die. There's not even like a thing of like they left behind 
some of the passengers or their DNA or, or anything? Like, it's just okay, like they so just crash and then leave? So technically they did leave behind a bunch of passengers, but they all died in the ship. So te- I guess technically there's like DNA there, but it's not like there was a stinger where oh, one of them's alive or it was like nothing like that. And also, like, I guess just dead humans wouldn't cause like new humans to grow from that anyway. That's not how, rank of fungus, not how yeah. that works. So yeah, there's just like no, no point. Nope. And you're telling me that they crash landed on the same day that the fucking like I I forget the name of the asteroid, but the the Dino Killer asteroid was about to hit. Yeah, like two days before I think the asteroid hits. <laughs> <laughs> the, so what the fuck? <laughs> but I I think they kind of try to tie that into the plot because it's like oh the big asteroid that killed all the dinosaurs was a part of this asteroid belt shower and that's what hit their ship. So they they try. I'm not saying it works, but they, they yeah try to pull it together. What the fuck, man? This like, is, I this think is a Sunday that... morning TBS dad movie, okay? This is like your father watching it on the couch at 8 a.m. on a Sunday. That's what this movie is. This is like if at the end of Planet of the Apes, they just went, we're arresting you now, and then that's it. <laughs> it hmm. just ended right there. That sounds like a bad ending. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, but yeah, oh, God. Not, not to linger on 65, not to spend 65 minutes on 65. But yeah, that is everything I've yeah. been uh, playing and watching. Well, I guess we can go from the realm of the incredibly fantastical and whimsical to the incredibly dry. Dry, 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 dry. It's the Maltese goddamn Falcon. Uh, for this one, there are two movies of this, um, and the original is actually the lesser-known one. The remake is the more famous one. Um, there is the original from 1931 and the remake from 1941. And before I get into this, I'd just like to implore to you, Jake, that the next time I try to suggest a noir film, please shut my mouth. I, just because this because this plot line is going to be hard to recount. However, I will say that the um, Wikipedia our, our author for the plotline in the 1931 film is my hero because they did my favorite thing where they gave the name of the actor directly after the name of the character they portray and that makes my job so much easier. Thank you, you anonymous beautiful bastard. So starting off with the 1931 film uh, directed by Roy Del Ruth, screenplay by Brown Holmes, Maude Fulton, uh, and Lucien Hubbard, uncredited, and is based on the 1930 novel of the same name by uh, Daniel Hammett, just one year before, which is interesting. Kicking into the plot, in San Francisco, private investigator Sam Spade, played by Ricardo Cortez, and his partner, Miles Archer, played by Walter Long, are hired by one Ruth Wonderly, uh, B.B. Daniels, to follow one Floyd Thursby, who was never actually shown, um, a man that allegedly ran off with her younger sister. Later that night, police detective Tom Polhouse, played by J. Far... uh, 
Pharrell McDonald, informs Spade that Archer has been killed while tailing Thursby. Thursby, however, is also killed later, and the police start to suspect Spade as a recompense for killing his partner. The next day, Spade calls on Wonderly in an attempt to find out her real reasons for hiring them. She gives Spade little information, but manages to keep him on the case. Later, one Dr. Joel Cairo, played by Otto, Otto Madison, uh, visits, his, uh, visits Spade's office and offers him $5,000 if he can retrieve one enamel figure of a black bird. Cairo is trying to recover it for the quote-unquote rightful owner. Not knowing anything about the statuette, Spade plays along and agrees to try to recover it. That night, Spade tells Wonderly about his talk with Cairo, and she becomes nervous. Then Polehouse and, and his superior, Lieutenant Dunny, played by Robert Elliott, arrive at the, at the apartment. They question Spade, but are interrupted by the screams of Wonderly, who is holding Cairo at gunpoint after he had broken in. The policemen leave with Cairo in tow. The next morning, as Wonderly sleeps in his bed, Spade lifts her latchkey and thoroughly searches her apartment, finding nothing. Because they're it's sort of in a relationship now, it's kind of, it's a bit... This, this, both these movies really range from lightly to moderately misogynistic. It's, it's going to be pretty consistent throughout. Returning to his own apartment, Spade receives a note from Casper, one Casper Gutman, played by Dudley Dig, Diggs, Dudley Diggs, inviting him to come and talk about the Blackbird statue. Over drinks and cigars, Spade learns the history and the value of the statuette, which is encrusted with precious jewels. Gutman is the mastermind behind an attempt to steal it. Believing Spade actually has it, Gutman reveals everything he knows. Just then, Cairo arrives and tells Gutman privately that Spade does not have the Falcon, as Wonderly gave it to the captain of a ship called the La Paloma, which arrives from Hong Kong later that night. Gutman slips Spade a slips knockout drops into his drink before leaving. That's uh, into Spade's drinks. Sorry. Later that night, Spade arrives back at his office and finds his secretary, Effie, Effie Perrine, played by Una Merkel, asleep behind his desk. Suddenly, a man staggers in, drops a suitcase he's carrying, and dies. This is Captain J uh, Jacoby, uh, played by August Agostino uh, Borgato. He is the captain of the La Paloma, and he has been shot several times. So the suitcase has the black bird inside of it. Spade checks the bag at the baggage check and sends himself the ticket in the mail to, you know, reclaim it later, because that's how it worked back then. Called in to see the district attorney, played by Morgan Wallace, because of Archer's murder, Spade is given 24 hours to wrap up the case and identify the real killers. Wonderly lures Spade into his apartment, where Cairo and Gutman are waiting there with guns. Gutman offers an envelope with $10,000 in cash in exchange for the Falcon. Spade insists that there, is, there has to be some kind of fall guy that will go to jail for the murders and suggests Gutman's gunman, one Wilmer Cook, played by Dwight Fryer. Fry, sorry. Gutman and Cairo agree to Spade's proposal. Spade calls Effie and asks her to bring the suitcase to them in the morning, while Gutman explains how Wilmer killed both Thursby and Jacoby. The bag shows up, and Wilmer escapes while the con conspirators are frantically opening it and examining the bird. They soon, however, determine that it's a fake. They must have been duped by the previous owner in Constantinople, slash Istanbul in the remake, which is fun, um, and Gutman and Cairo decide to make another attempt, another attempt on stealing it. As they leave, Gutman takes back the $10,000 he, uh, he gave to Spade while pointing a gun at him. Spade immediately calls Detective Polhouse and tells them to pick up Gutman, Cairo, and Wilmer. Confronting Wonderly, Spade accuses her, actually accuses her of killing Archer in order to frame Thursby and get him out of the way so she could have all the money of the Falcon to herself. She admits it to it, and Spade tells her that he's going to turn her in despite their love for each other, because apparently they loved each other. When Dundee and Polhouse show up, they reveal that Wilmer, that, uh, Wilmer actually killed Gutman and Cairo before being apprehended. Spade gives them Wilmer's guns, tells them that Wonderly killed Archer, and they take her away. Spade goes on to visit Wonderly in prison to tell her that he has been made chief inspector, uh, chief investigator for the district attorney's office. Spade instructs the prison matron to treat Wonderly well and give her anything she wants. When the matron asks who will pay for the treatment, Spade tells her to bill the DA. Oh. That is a 
I'm, I'm, I'm brushing over certain, I imagine I'm brushing over certain parts of the plot and certain things might not be super clear, but trust me, having watched it also, that's kind of how it felt at the time too. Um, but thankfully the 1941 film is almost beat for beat exactly the same. So I'll just be going down the, um, change in actors and such. It is directed by John. It is directed and has the screenplay written by John Huston and is based on the same, Fal the same Maltese Falcon novel from 1930. Going to the cast list, we have Humphrey Bogart as Sam Spade. Mary Astor as Ruth Wonderly slash Bridget O'Shaughnessy, which is her character's actual name, apparently. Gladys George as Iva Archer. Uh, Peter Lorre as Joe C Cairo, or Peter Lore, sorry, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, Barton McLean as Lieutenant Dundee. Lee Patrick as Effie Perrine. Sidney Greenstreet as Casper Gutman. Ward Bond as Detective Polhouse. Jerome Cowan as Miles Archer. Eli uh, Elisha Cook Jr. as Wilmer Cook. James Burke as one of the hotel people. And uh, Walter Huston as Captain Jacoby, but he went uh, uncredited. The only major difference is there isn't a scene at the end where he visits her in prison. She just gets taken away, and that's the end of it. And there's actually a bit more history on the Maltese Falcon, supposedly having been a gift from the Knight Templars of Malta to the King of Spain, but it got stolen by pirates or whatever. But it's honestly kind of neither here nor there. Fucking noirs, man. I forget how convoluted they are. Yes, but uh, you did a great job with the pl plot. No. So... Yeah, well, thank, thank the, the uncredited Wikipedia author. They're a saint. Fantastic recounting, sir. Yes, I, I enjoy listening to a man <laughs> who likes to talk. Yes. Oh, my God, yeah. I gotta say, the, um, the fucking, I completely forgot his name now, um, Gutman, which is a hilarious mm -hmm. name for the character. Um, he, he's, a, he's a joy in the 1941 one, but we'll yes. get to that. Yes, Sydney Greenstreet is a favorite of mine. But... Yes, let us uh, first delve into uh, a, a short full circle. All right, so uh, first up, the only one we have for the 1931 Maltese Falcon, uh, Dwight Fry, who played uh, Wilmer Cook. He was also Fritz in 31's Frankenstein, so two 31 features. And I mean... Make it. You could really roll films out pretty quick back then, huh? <laughs> oh, definitely. And I mean, Dwight Fry was like, he was all over those Universal monster movies, too. Like, he was, uh, he was Renfield in the 1931 Dragon. Oh. So he really, get, you know, he got around. Damn. And now moving on to the 41 Maltese Falcon, we have Jerome Cohen, who was Miles Archer. Uh, he also played Thomas Mara in 1947's Miracle on 34th Street. Oh. All right. <laughs> Walter Houston, uh, as you said, was uncredited as uh, the murdered Captain Jacoby in 41's Maltese Falcon. He also played uh, Mr. Scratch in 1941's All That Money Can Buy, also known as The Devil. Oh, yeah. Huh. And finally, we have Peter Lorre, who was Joel Cairo in The Maltese Falcon, and he was Hans Beckert in 1931's M. So, you know, while the original oh, Maltese yeah. Falcon is coming out over here, he's doing M for Fritz Lang in Germany. That explains the accent. Oh, definitely. Yeah, Peter Peter Lorre was another one of those big horror guys. He was in all those Hammer films with Vincent Price and he, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Looney Tunes like to do caricatures of him with those weird bug eyes. Like, yeah, okay, I, I knew I recognized him from something. Yeah, but uh, that is it for full circle. Mercifully short, my God. Yes. Oh, good Lord! Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm gonna need a sip of water after that one. It's not it's not as hard as like. Seven Samurai was for that's for damn sure, but it's it's still convoluted. So, oh, definitely. Um, 
So going into this one, I actually, I think I made a mistake. <laughs> I did the 31 version a bit of an injustice because I did watch the 41 version first. And I, I think I would already be coming out with this opinion, but I think it's even more so having watched uh, what I consider to be the superior version <laughs> prior to the original film. So yeah. um, so that definitely, uh, that uh, potentially tainted the analysis a little bit, but I feel, I still think it's, it's, it's valid. Um, in that end, just the, the, the pure talent and cast that is available for this 41 version is just oh astounding. Like if, if like Humphrey Bogart aside, who is his own big name, the character actors themselves, like 31 had some character actors in it, mm-hmm. but 41 has straight up actors playing characters in it. Like the, these are believable in these roles and they really flesh out what originally felt like kind of a stilted sort of, uh, almost like stage play telling of this book to mm. what actually feels like a realistic world. Yeah, it's, it is really like the Maltese Falcon is often cited as kind of like one of the triumphs of the noir genre and it shows big time, like even ha- knowing all the tropes about noir and I've got my own issues with classic noir in general, just, you know, between like the, just kind of at times, like the equal parts complex and interesting nature of the conspiracies that go on board and also the kind of chauvinistic and boiled down attitudes at times it's it's always been a weird mix for me but seeing it done in its like truest original form is hard not to respect it's just it is it is it's also not so convoluted as a lot of modern noirs have become because you have to keep making it more complex to make them interesting um which is kind of like you know it's like with the original Olympics, you could get a gold in gymnastics just for doing one clean jump, and now you have to be like doing physics while you're in the air. Um, and it's just it's 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 hard not to kind of love it for that. Um, and I think you made a very good point of calling the original more of a stage play telling of it because, hey boy, it's a a lot of a lot of che- it's a lot of scenery getting chewed on that one. Yeah, and and not to mention just the just the actual. Fleshing, I think some of it has to do with the actors, and some of it just has to do with the directing style. It has to be because, like, mm. they flow so quickly from one bit to another. I imagine if I watched the thirty-one version first, I would, I would be like, "Oh, this is this is kind of a dull bit from the book that they felt they had to include because it's part of the plot." But the forty-one version improves on it, you know, by actually being like, "This is a character moment that we can turn into movie gold." You know, for example, near yeah. the ending of the movie. Where they find out that the Maltese Falcon is is pure lead. It is it is not the real thing. It was a recreation. In the thirty one version, Cairo starts. He he goes off very briefly on Gutman. He's like, "Oh, you idiot! He reproduced it because you let him know. He he caught on to us." And almost immediately, Gutman's like, "Well, no time to sit around. We have to go. Do you wish to come with me?" And Cairo's like, "Yes, of course." And then they leave. Okay, yeah. and then go into the forty one version. Peter Lorre doing his Peter Lorre self starts to have like a mental breakdown at the fact that yeah. this thing isn't real. All the trouble that they've gone through, he's like, <laughs> like three men have died over this thing. It's 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 fantastic. He's like, no, it was you who bungled it, and he st- and he starts <laughs> screaming at him, and you know Sydney Greenstreet's just sitting there and. Then, you know, he bounces back and does the same thing. He's like, well, I'm not just going to sit here. It's, it's time to go. We, you know, we, we must go. And, and when he asks 
Cairo, if he wants to go with him, Peter Laurie's taken aback a bit. He's like, you would have me? Like, even even after I just called you a bloated fathead, you would still have me on your journey? <laughs> like, it's like a character moment between these two that are like, their destinies are intertwined at this point. They have to find this thing. Yeah, like they seem like they actually seem like genuine, you know, because the both of them are their own unique form of scumbag. And to see them both be terrible for each other in this way is really interesting. Meanwhile, in the 31 version, is like I half expected to start hearing friends for life through thick and thin and another tailspin as they ran out the door. Yeah, <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> this is like a cartoon now. What the fuck? Um, we're not necessarily also, dependent on each other. We're literally just friends. So, you know, yeah. let's go. And it's just like, there's also just like a really small moment in that, which I briefly mentioned in the um, synopsis that for some reason I just find interesting is that in the original, they say they have to go back to Constantinople, but then in the remake, they say they go to back, have to go back to Istanbul, which is like, that kind of tells me either one public opinion about the name finally kind of shifted around that period. Cause it had been Istanbul for a very long time at that point. It didn't just change in that 10 year period or B in the second one in the remake, they either did better research or the character was done much better. Cause he's clearly an intelligent man who has done all this history in an era without Google. He had to do this the old fashioned way um, of knowing the history of, you know, Malta and its relationship with Spain and the fact of this specific item of having probably to track down shipping records and everything. Yeah, of course he's going to call it Istanbul. That's the, that's the, his, that is the proper name for it right now. And it has been for some time. And I just like, I found that to be a very interesting point of the general effort and little details they even went to, to flesh out these characters and it really didn't strike me until actually kind of I kind of went back through the 31 version because it kind of blew past me at a certain point after watching the 41 version. And after renoting that, it's like, yeah, these characters are really deep. <laughs> like that's I'm honestly very surprised. <laughs> yeah, it's it's blissfully the 31 one. It, I mean, both of these movies are short, due, you know, due to the, the circumstances of the time that they came out, more or less. You know, if it yeah. wasn't an epic, it was like an hour and a half. But like even still, the 31 one's like an hour and nine or something it's it's blissfully brief i'll say yes so but i gotta like i gotta just kind of address the difference here just in general like i said at the beginning of the synopsis my god it's the original dry it is just it, like the fact that the, the i'm sure every version is like this it was hard enough finding a version of the 31 version um to view but the fact that in the 10 year period they learned that oh you're supposed to have like backing music over scenes was such a big shift that I didn't really realize until I was shown it in stark contrast like it was. Because, my God, just the constant sound of the hiss that comes with those older recordings with no music and just hearing these people kind of borderline mumble talk at, in certain cases with a really, like, put-on transatlantic accents or trans-Pacific, I guess, since they're in San Francisco, whatever. Um, and just, I, I felt like I was being, like, interrogated at a certain point. Then I jump into the 41 version and am shown like camera angles and music and backing and like different octaves and changes in emotion. I'm like, oh my God, it's beautiful. Yeah, the 41 it's, version is, it's, it's a movie. Like it's, it's, a it's, movie. A, it's, it's a movie with a capital M, my friend. They like put a lot of effort. There are not, there are so many times in this show where we've watched movies where it's hard to really call them what they are. It's like, man, like what is like whatever that one, others i forget the name of it it's the one with mark Wahlberg and the remake like the twist ends up being like all the money was invested in a stamp or whatever what was that oh one? oh uh, the truth about charlie and the original was charade with Cary grant and audrey hepburn yes like the way we discovered like described the truth about charlie of it being like this pseudo wannabe french art house kind of style going on 
And it's like, what is this? I don't know what this is. And then, yeah, like you said, watching the 1941 Maltese Falcon, that is a movie. That is as classic of a form of this is a a piece of media that has been put to film reel and projected on a widescreen within a one hour and 30 minute time frame. It is a movie. It's like, holy shit. <laughs> it's like, I forgot that these were a thing, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And it, like, it was one of those things where watching it, I, I hair standing on end at specific scenes, yeah. you know, and I don't, I don't get that a lot anymore. Or even when viewing like classic stuff, it's rare. It's like, it's funny because I think the main, like, a lot of classic movies have have quotes associated with them, and the Maltese Falcons is definitely uh, the stuff that dreams are made of. That's the takeaway yeah. from that movie. But good lord, when when Wilmer is on the couch after getting disarmed, and he wakes up and everyone's staring at him, and he he comes to realize that he's going to be the fall guy in this situation. And Sidney Greenstreet just looks at him. He goes, "I love you like a son, but a man can get any other can get another son. There's only one Maltese Falcon." That had, like, hairs on the back of my neck. And that's a line that was in the first movie, too, but uh, the main character says it, and it's just, like, a matter of fact, like, I'm using this as a part of our negotiations. You know, it's it's not, like, a a classic quote caliber in that feature. Yeah. Like, and if you did any kind of line like that in modern days, it would be panned for being so hokey of, like, doing a title drop like that. In this, it was brilliant. It was beautiful. It was pointing to, like, it described the character of, of Gutman. It described the like desperate desperate situation that wilmer was in it described described just the whole sense of greed that's going through all these scumbags that yeah they're willing to give up supposed family for this chance at riches it's it's insane and we haven't actually seen when they did all the stealing of the falcon this is all after the fact stuff and we learned so much about them regardless it's like how the fuck did we get here <laughs> like, this, oh my god i i watched i know i talked about it on the show i watched a movie last year called the outfit which oh, was yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that tailor that like makes suits for the mob in, in this uh, neighborhood. And I love the fact that we got a movie in the year 2022 that was so bottled and it entirely took place in this small tailor shop that's basically two and a half rooms. And mm-hmm. I, I get such a good feeling when movies are able to restrain themselves because you really know that they're trying to be about something because, because all the focus is on the dialogue and the character's excuse me, and how they interact, like like a 12 Angry Men, you know, where they're all yeah. just arguing the details of, of, of this case over and over again. And in here, it's it's the same thing. It's like his office and then two rooms. They're apartment built, like apartment rooms, and that's it. And they're in the same room for the last two-thirds of the movie, pretty much, while they're sitting around waiting for this Falcon to be delivered. They're, they're arguing over money and who stole what and who's going where. And who's taking the fall? It's it's so engaging, and no one has to do hardly anything. Sydney Greenstreet is sitting in a chair for most of this movie, and he yeah. is by far my favorite character, and I find him the most engaging because he's acting. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, and this is in comparison to the prior movie that is near word for word and beat for beat the same, but just with like subtle shifts, was able to make it make it engaging. Like, the fact that we see Archer's death directly, the fact that we have all these moments of intermediate moments where he, like, has to go into a cab to track things down, it shows, like, actions happening without actually doing a lot of action. And just, oh, my God. And just, again, just the acting chops on display, which I feel bad for shitting on the 31 movie so much, but it is it is night and day, frankly. 
Oh my god. I, I think everyone it, in the 41 version, everyone in their respective roles does a better job than the actors in the 31 roles. And there's good actors in the 31 version. I will say that I actually think Dudley Diggs as as Casper Gutman in 31 is probably the best actor in that movie too in my opinion. I think he I think he's doing oh yeah. a really good job with that character based on the text, but he's up against Sidney Greenstreet. That's hard. <laughs> it's very hard. <laughs> yeah. Which, to be fair, Humphrey Bogart gives a run for his money with his character, which I can't tell if he is one of my lesser favorite act characters in the film, just for the fact of, like, ultimately, at times, he can come off a little too brusque, which is, I guess, kind of the point, but it almost gets to the point of not liking him. Um, I think he's incredibly clever, and I like that, obviously. But, you know, it's that same kind of stoic archetype thing from, like, Noir's of the area that was just one of the main reasons I've never been a truly massive fan of them. Just because like, at times I think it just gets a little grating. Like the fact that, you know, his partner dies and he has a pretty immediate reaction to like, okay, go ahead and change all our stationery and like change the name on the door and all this stuff. Um, which like I'm realizing now also though gets paid off in the end because we get to learn more about him, th- their relationship subtly. Like the fact that he originally, like that Spade actually had a thing for Archer's now widow wife. And now people believe like, oh, that's the reason he knocked off Archer so that he could get with his wife. And then you learn like, yeah, Archer's wife wasn't happy with him in general, but they had a lot of money together and all these other little subtle things. And then there at the very end, when he finally, you know, drops the truth that he knows it was um, O'Shaughnessy who killed Archer, he drops that of like, I don't care if I love you. I had a partner that you killed. It is my responsibility to bring you to justice for that. It's like, damn. All right. Like, that's truly like the bros before hoes moment before the, <laughs> there was such a phrase for it, um, which, you know, I need to. I need to gargle salt for saying that phrase out loud, but you know, it's, it's just, again, a matter of just subtle moments and being able to build up this character without necessarily needing to say it outright, which is where noir films shine. And I still can't tell you if I like this character. And I think that's the entire damn point. God damn it. I mean, a lot of these gumshoes, these dicks from the era are meant to be unlikable. And that's why, why it's so hackneyed now where it's like sitting you know, self-narrating, sitting in a dark office with just blinds on the door, drinking whiskey with five o'clock shadow, because it's like I'm, uh, the, the world is awful. You know, the the it, it, it's such an archetype at this point, and I, I'll say that mm-hmm. unfortunately, I, I do think Humphrey Bogart is great, and I think he does a great job in general. It's just one of those things where he, at least for that era, he's like you know larger than life actor at this point. You know, you always see those hacky paintings of like Hollywood Mount Rushmore and it's always Marilyn Monroe and James Dean and Elvis for some reason and then it's always Why? Humphrey Bo- it's always Humphrey Bogart I think because of all those awful movies Elvis made with titles based off of his songs like Jailhouse Rock whatever yeah, but those weren't good like at least those that other people are good <laughs> well I think, <laughs> yeah. I think pe- well I think people got caught up in the Elvis hype and they didn't really care that's why he got so many he, he got a ton of movies and none of them are any good but anyways, I like um, the toilet he the toilet he died on has a better spot than him. Humphrey Bogart sits in such an echelon that it's like he's just him. Whenever I see him in movies like this, this is a great movie and it's a great performance from him, of course. But I don't see Sam Spade. I see Humphrey Bogart playing a detective. And what? like, for example, like Peter Laurie, I love Peter Laurie and I've seen him in a ton of things. But when I'm watching it, I'm not constantly thinking that's Peter Laurie. You know, at most, I'm thinking, this is a really damn good performance from Peter Laurie. But when I'm seeing Humphrey Bogart, it's like, well, this is how I imagine Humphrey Bogart just lived day to day. 
So is he acting? <laughs> this is just, and I know he this is, is just he a is. daily life. <laughs> yeah, I know he is, but I, I can't separate that in my head, and that's not necessarily his fault. It's it's sort of the circumstances. Uh, I feel bad for. I I want to, I want to try to find some saving grace with the thirty one version, but then I started thinking about the main actor for Spade in the original, and I was like, oh god, <laughs> like that weirdly sm- like weirdly grinning douche. Yeah, I I mean, I don't I could not could not stay engaged whenever he was doing anything. I was like, God, this guy's this guy's rough. I mean, that's that's one of the problems with the movie being such a direct adaptation, you know, for only a decade later is there's not a lot of iteration that was done upon it so that we have like wild plot beats to compare against like, oh, I thought this plot beat was was more interesting than the 41 one. I, I wish they kept it. It's just they took. What 31 did, which was already based on a pre-existing book, and they just made it better. I don't think 31 is a bad movie, necessarily. I just think it's kind of boring, which yeah. some would argue is worse. I don't necessarily argue that's worse, because I can still... I can look at a movie that I find relatively boring and still say, oh, that was shot pretty well. Or, oh, you know, like I was saying earlier, Dudley Diggs, I think, does a great job as Casper Gutman. You know, he, he has this... He doesn't reach the same heights that Sidney Greenstreet does, but he's doing... The same shtick, which I think is inferred from the character in the book. Like, okay, something I do like in the 31 version, even though it's super hokey that, that it is not in the 41 version, is that uh, in the scene where uh, the money is being counted, uh, the, the money that Gutman paid to Spade is being recounted by Gutman, and he's like, oh, there's money missing here. Uh, I think she must have took some. She she took some money away from you. In the 31 version, he puts a monocle on to, to like, count the money, and then he stands up and looks at Spade and says, well, there's $100 missing here. And the monocle just flies off of his face. And I'm like, eh, that's, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's something, at least, yeah. Yeah, they're, like, they're doing something. There's something going on. It's just like, I don't know what it was, like, it seems like there was truly such a jump in quality in movies of that era in general between like the 30s and the 40s. And I truly don't know what it was that happened necessarily. I'm sure like camera technology definitely skyrocketed. I'm sure that's part of it. Um, just because even just visually, like you can see more of the damn film. Um, it's just it's crazy to think about the amount that shifted inside one decade. Because it's just I don't know. Like you know, what I think it is actually it does go back to what you said before. It, it still feels like for a long time, I think we talked about this on the show before, for a long time, films were still just kind of portrayed as stage plays that are being filmed. Oh, yes. And so there's still like long lingering shots and very kind of moments of watching characters interact for extended periods or just in very dry scenarios with a most for the most part, full foot to head, you know, wide shots of everybody. And then you shift into the 40 version where people realized, hey, we can do like close-ups and dramatic beats and we can show other environments at least in in, in part um to give more context and to be able to have all these different moments like, like even the part where they get to the sh- where he gets to the ship in the 41 version and seeing it on fire he's only there at that scene for what a couple minutes and you know there's still just this very chaotic scene going on in the background did they have anything even close to that in the 31 version i can't even remember i don't i don't remember that it's Would just you- like it's just the fact that they're able to do more they, at some point, someone came up with the idea of like, what if we weren't making a play? Like, that's just, that's just, yeah, a brilliant idea. We actually realized that this is its own medium. This isn't just a way of advancing something that already exists. We can make it its own. And I think when they finally realized that, a lot of good shit started happening. And it's, it, you know, we're in the world we are today, which 
you know, one would argue they've lost their way a little bit, but that's that's neither here nor there right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's I truly do think it was just a shift in mindset more than anything. And when it comes to just producing film that, yeah, this is a medium all its own. It needs to be treated that way. Yeah, I yeah, I, I guess. Uh, hmm. Neg- I'm trying to think of like negatives for the 41 version and I'm coming up short because I think it's. We'll still say, like, this is obviously coming from the more modern perspective. Um, I still think the general noir style of, like, that kind of, like, the very grizzled gumshoe thing still gets kind of grating after a while. Again, I know that's a modern sensibility thing, but I'm sure even back then people were like, hey, this dude's a bit of a dick, and really everyone's being a dick to these women. Um, And so that's just, like, on my part, I'm just like, eh. It means that I don't necessarily want to watch more of it as a result. And I know modern noir is also fall into that trope in its own ways, but they at least try to be like, at least a bit more real about it. Like there's actually like a reason, like we're not supposed to just like blow off the women. It's like, no, we got to actually recognize they're in pain. Um, and just like the characters that get shit on in general. Like I think a good, a good one that kind of deconstructs it a bit is um, in modern terms is Altered Carbon, which is a um, mm. sci-fi noir. Yeah, um, you mentioned this on, you've talked about uh, watching it on the show before. Yeah. Um, the book is infinitely better, in my opinion, um, just because they change a lot of really weird, random things for the show. It's still decent, but you get a better impact from the book. Um, but it just it does fun things like the whole plot of it's like people can swap what bodies their consciousness is in. Um, and the thing that happens with the main character is he gets body swapped into a body that has a crippling nicotine addiction and is also previously alcoholic. And so he's literally the smoking and chain like chain smoking and drinking detective because his body was pre-programmed that way i think that's just really funny (laughs) it's like oh he's he's a trope because he got dealt a bad hand literally he he got the he got the model that was busted on the way in no that's a good take um and i just i like moments like that where they kind of take the time to deconstruct it a little and actually kind of poke fun at it and i think just as a result seeing the original version of that just means it's kind of rough for me just because like it feels like you know more could have been done with this because like compelling stories that were a bit more even handed with those portrayals it have existed. Um, but that's just like, that was generally like the production style of the time of like having the, how those characters act and that sort of thing, which is ultimately excusable, but still it just means it, it doesn't necessarily mean I enjoy it anymore while watching it. Sure. Yeah. It's just, is that a fault of the movie itself or is it the time period in which, you know, in the, the culture in which the movie was crafted since it, since it was yeah. still iterating on what was, what was novel at the time. But yeah. um, to that end, uh, because uh, I actually did think of something. It, it's not necessarily like a huge fault with the movie, but because you're talking about characters get shit on. I think it's mainly a symptom of the character itself from the book, but Elijah Cook Jr. doesn't get a lot to do in the movie, which is unfortunate because I really like him. <laughs> He's been in yeah. other things that I like, like uh, the Vincent Price, uh, um, oh, with the, the uh, House on Haunted Hill. And he was in um, Rosemary's Baby, you know, much later. He, he's been in a lot of stuff that I like, and I think that, I, I think he's a good actor. It, it's weird to have him in this particular role just because he doesn't, he doesn't get to do a whole lot, you know. But the same yeah. to that end applies to Dwight Fry. It's it's like this silent gunsel that works for Gutman that, you know, doesn't get a lot of words and then leaves at the end so that he's not incriminated by the, the party. Yeah. Which, like, to be fair, he does enough with what he's got. You know, he clearly shows he's a hothead and kind of has the oh, sure. you know, young gun kind of thing going on. Um, which itself is still kind of a novel concept. Um, but yeah, there, it feels like there's a lot of moments of that where it feels like the secretary woman probably could have had more going on. But at the same time, you know, didn't necessarily need another female ingenue, as it were, kind of in distress. 
they already had, you know, the O'Shaughnessy character with Mary Astor. But, you know, it's. Yeah. And like at this point, it feels like I, I nitpick certain things about it. But yeah, it, it's always that moment of it feels like they could have done more with the characters as they did. But they already did plenty with the characters they did do stuff with. So it's yeah. I feel like at times I was a little kind of confused as to the O'Shaughnessy character's motivations just because we didn't see a lot of her interactions with these other guys, which she clearly has some amount of history with, but we really only ever see her interact in like this, you know, submissive role of like having always on the edge of being, you know, beaten at her, at her game and that sort of thing. So we never really see if like, it's clear that she's clever and that she's been pretty ruthless to get all this stuff, you know, done to be able to try to get this Falcon, like freight, like straight up killing a man at point blank range and trying to get all these other people framed so that she could get away with the money. But ultimately she's only ever portrayed all, even up to the very end is this kind of like waifish character who's having to deal with all these other people like throwing her into schemes, which I would have hoped that there's been some sort of turnaround at the end. But like, it's really just, you know, her just kind of crying and being like, how could you do this to me? It's like, what the fuck do you mean? How could he do this to you? You committed murder. Like, like, don't, like, don't act like you're some innocent bystander in all this. You have actively admitted to being the perpetrator of this entire thing. Like, I don't know. It just it felt a little disjointed whenever it got right down to it. You know what? You bringing that up, though, reminds me. It's funny. We've been talking about this movie for 35 minutes now. And yet, the one thing that I think that the 31 film does did actively wrong, or at least something that I didn't care for, is the one major difference between the two movies. And we haven't touched on it really at all, and that's the endings. Yes. I, I think... The, which you alluded to earlier when you were discussing the synopses, but I think that the 41 version is more impactful, and that's the one I saw, you know, that's the movie I saw first, as I said, so I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, that's really powerful, you know, she's broken, is he going to absolve her? No, he's not, he's sticking to his guns, and she did commit murder, as you said, so, you know, take her away, and you just see her being taken down on this elevator as he sort of solemnly walks away. So I watched the 31 version, I think we're going to get to that point, because I've just been watching a movie that the dialogue is you know, one-to-one on. And we get this whole scene in the prison where they're, like, joking with each other across the bars. And I'm like, well, this kind of took the wind out of the movie's sails, I think. I, You know, maybe I'm a little biased watching the, the better version first, but I was not expecting this. Oh, my this. God. Oh, what? We've done another movie where, this, where there's a weirdly similar situation. Um, shit, it was one of your picks, I'm pretty sure, but I cannot for the life of me remember that. It was about... Oh, um, um, it was about, like, one of, like, the remake had Jack Nicholson as the main male role. Um, um, the Postman Always Rings Twice. Yeah, Postman Always Rings Twice. It had a very similar thing going on where, you know, everything happens at the end. And in the original, the main character goes to prison for what he's done and he's about to be executed or whatever it is. And like it has like he drops the line like the Postman Always Rings Twice, you know, basically saying you can't escape consequences. Um, and it's kind of like a weird kind of lingering trail for the end of the movie there, or just like, it feels like it goes on a little bit too long. And then in the remake, it does the same thing that happened here. It just, it ends at that final climactic moment. And it's right. like, Oh, okay. It's just that <laughs> it did it better here where it actually like made it impactful. And we didn't have to actually state the moral of the story. Right. Like, we know what's happened. And the implication is enough. Like we, they, they just spent the five minutes about it, talking about it in the room, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's weird that that's happened twice now. No, if we've had that scenario. And um, they're, they're both kind of noirs in a way. There's not like a detective. Yeah. Well, there actually, there is a detective running around Postman Always Rings Twice. It's just not one of the main characters. So Yeah, we're just, we're focused on the criminals rather than the, the you know, you know detective. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a not, yeah, that's an interesting situation. Huh. 
and like yeah I, I don't know why just like that doesn't really ultimately hold a whole lot of impact to what we were talking about but it's it's weird that i ever thought about that sure um but yeah it's the end yeah the ending of the 41 version is about as stellar as of an ending as you can get like um even having seen the 31 prior like the whole revelation of him dropping the truth bomb on her of like yeah i know you did it like even in the time of having watched it a second time i was like oh shit it's like, all of this, everything comes together beautifully, like as a good noir mystery film should. And it was satisfying and tense. And again, still like the, the performance given from, you know, the O'Shaughnessy character, just like, I'm still trying to kind of throw herself at his mercy. It's like, I don't, I think that ship has sailed, darling. Like, I don't like own up to it a little bit. Like you're a devious son of a bitch. And I don't know. Again, that's, this is probably just a personal preference thing. I just think that, I, I just think the, disjointed nature of her character was a little weird but nah, otherwise I, good ending that makes sense I, I i yeah that makes sense i think i tracked that it's just like i'm <laughs> and i'm still trying to find those saving graces of the 31 version but it's just this is truly one of the rarest cases we've had where the remake truly was with the intention of doing the story better doing the story justice and correctly i can't necessarily think of other instances where this has happened so directly like we've had ones where they've tried to do their own spin on it like the like with scarface where it's the same story but it's a different context and everything and with a you know vastly different ending obviously um but it's it's to see it so almost one-to-one go from here is the rough draft here is the final version so much to the point that a lot of people don't even know the 31 exists is pretty it's it's pretty insane and like it's it's like i said it's hard to find that moment of oh here's how the 31 was you know truly the pinnacle and shouldn't be undone by other people trying to recapture the magic no the magic was the 41 version like that was like we said at the beginning and like we've kind of just been iterating with this that was a capital m movie and it was a it is hard to top that like i won't say it's the favorite my favorite film of all time or anything by any stretch again i'm still kind of mixed on the original noir series of things um but to say it was anything other than a movie would be vastly wrong. It's just, it is, it kind of defines the genre in its own way. It, it just, it does things that no other medium can. And it's pretty beautiful for that. Yeah. I, I, and I mean, I hear people talking about this, you know, all the time. It's, it's not like we found a diamond in the rough. Obviously this is a, like a classic of cinema here. You know, it's, it's mentioned in the same breath as things like Casablanca and the treasure of the Sierra Madre. So, mm-hmm. uh, but still, like, it is, it, it was a great movie. I loved watching it. I'm, I'm super happy with it. I think the 41 Maltese Falcon, uh, again, super popular movie, so I'm not breaking ground here, but I think it's up there in terms of things that we've covered on the show. I think my top three is, like, the Day of the Jackal, the anime version of Metropolis, and then this. Like, yeah. I liked it that much. Yeah, for me, I think, oh, goddamn, if I had to pick a top three, I don't know. I don't think this one would be in my top three, but it is up there. It's at least top five um, or maybe like top seven. Yeah. I mean, we've covered <laughs> a lot of good things on the show, like in Infernal Affairs and Seven Samurai, like lots of great things along with That's the true. bad. I did love Infernal Affairs for as hokey as it was in its own way. I think it was a, that was a diamond in the rough, but yeah, this one's, this one's fucking up there. Like it, it's the kind of movie that reminds me like why movies are a thing as a whole, like, why they stuck around, why it wasn't just some fad of like, oh, we're just filming stage plays and we're just, you know, just continuing that and basically just stage plays are just stay the norm. No, this kind of like, I'm sure this wasn't like the defining film of like, oh, this is when it went from a fad to a, an entire art medium. It was already an art medium prior to that in its own ways, but this was 
really right on that period of, yeah, this is when we recognize it as the powerful medium that it is and what we can do with it and how we can show a story in different ways and how we can make it thrilling without also just kind of dragging it out. It's, it's, it, 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 this movie makes me feel for movies what a lot of people seem to think um, Citizen Kane makes them feel for movies, which I've never gotten. I still think Citizen Kane is okay. I think there's a lot of cool technical aspects to it, but I think ultimately it's still pretty dull as dirt. Um, it is. It's, it's a very deep and gripping dull as dirt movie, but it is still dull as dirt. Um, and so it's, I think in my opinion, this one kind of tops that when it comes to just like saying what a film is. And it's, Again, hard not to respect that, given that this has kind of been our whole thing. <laughs> yes. Um, and just our our way of trying to describe like what we feel about movies and how movies should feel in general. And I think this is about as this is about as much of a gold standard to go by as possible. Again, not my favorite film, far from the best film in the world. But it, it is a film. It is a. It's not even. It's not a film. It's a movie. <laughs> like yes. there's a there is a difference. No, that's very well put. And yes, I, I'm I'm very. I'm very happy with it. This was a this was a great selection that finally got me to watch a classic. Yeah, I was worried about it at first because I was watching the 31 version, going, "Oh yeah, original noirs could be really dry and like make me want to fall asleep at all times." And then the 41 version really got going. I was like, "Oh, oh, Perfect. all right, we're on worried business." <laughs> oh man, but again, I just I almost feel bad because like yeah, this has been such a. It's not quite been a shooting fish in the barrel moment. This hasn't quite been departed level. You know, check your boxes. Um, but it's kind of in the opposite situation of rather than shooting fish in a barrel, we are freeing sh- fish from a barrel. I don't. I don't know what's the what's the positive version of that. Where it's like instead of just like taking all the time to blast the hell out of it, we're putting it up on a pedestal. It's just it's hard. It's hard to compare the two. Is is me point? It it is. Yeah, but because it really just is rough draft versus final version. Right, and there's there's nothing necessarily wrong with having the bare bones, though you also yeah. have to wonder, you know, because I haven't read the book, how much of that comes from the book versus comes from the 31 version. I don't know, honestly. I don't know. Yeah. I think no matter what, the 41 version is still just more interesting in general. <laughs> yeah, no, de- definitely. It's like, it's good to know the source material, but sometimes it's something just worthy of standing on its own. It, this one definitely is. We have we have done so many schlock remakes and everything, and seeing one that's just truly just like, nah, fuck you. It's like this is a this is a movie, damn it. You're gonna enjoy yourself. And I was like, all right, fine, dang. Uh it is it's weird how much like recently between the films I've been watching on my own, the films have been kind of coming out more often, and just content in general that I've been deciding to consume, how much of it really just has stemmed back to, okay, let's stop going on about all this random bullshit that people are making money off of or beating a drum for some stupid reason. Here is the basic mechanics of what this medium X medium can do. We're going to have fun with that. And we're going to make a damn good product. Like between this, between like the menu and with the Dungeons and Dragons movie um, and with Hi-Fi Rush, a game that came out was literally shadow launched, like no prior announcement, just launched the same day it was really shown. And all of them doing that of just going, here's a thing that is just good. And those are the best things I've been it, it, like, it's been reinvigorating me lately. It's just like, where is all of this? Where has this been? <laughs> like, when, when did we decide? Like, it's it's almost like the marvelization of everything has kind of created this beautiful little umbrella for the real gems of the situation to kind of just poke out and go like, hey, while everyone's distracted over here, we're just going to do our own thing. And you guys can come join us if you want. And I'm like, sure, I'll join you. 
<laughs> fuck, fuck Avatar. Fuck all this other stuff. I'm gonna go to the good shit. Well, it helps yeah. that uh, the superhero stuff is. Uh... Oh my god! Finally, it's the mass the masses have finally grown sick of it. People are still going to see it, but not in the same waves that they were. You know, Quantum Mania tanked. It, 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 I mean, it, it it did money at the box office, but it left the top five fairly quickly. And Shazam too. It was barely even up there, and it it it. I'm pretty sure it had VOD too. So you know. Oh, what a the shame. beast can bleed. The beast <laughs> can bleed. Now I just need to have that that to happen with Star Wars, and for some reason Avatar. I still don't know a single human being who has actually seen the Avatar movie, and it still made more money than God. Like, what happened there? I I know a couple, and they all loved it. <laughs> I have not heard a single actual word about that movie. It is the wildest shit. Oh. Um, but yeah, between that and Star Wars, like, it, I'm just I'm seeing it start to wane. I'm like, yes, please, for the love of God, let us go back to just more original media. Uh, if not even original media, like I don't, I don't need original. I just need creative and decent and well made. That's all I need. Like, right. give me Ralph, give me Ray Fiennes doing fucking like like killing more people in random like overly bougie situations. <laughs> I'd like that. Weirdly specific like that. take, I know, but still. <laughs> oh, but we. Uh, sorry. I, I was just gonna say, which I guess I'm just describing the end of In Bruges with that, but whatever. Oh. Well, we have uh, been we waffled a bit unintentionally here at the end. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we we've made our points well known at the you know at this stage. It, it wasn't really even a chance. We 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 tried. We we were fair. I think. Yeah. But, you know that's the way it goes. It's, it's not always it's not always obvious if it's going to be this kind of situation. And I fully did not expect it to be this much of a situation going into this. But of like one is clearly the obvious choice between the two. It's a rare form that it's the remake though. Yeah, we only we only get it. I mean, there are instances like Willy Wonka and whatever where one of us will prefer the remake, but it's it's rare that it's like, oh, this is actually this isn't just an enjoyability thing. This is like actually better, you know. Like ob- so. objectively, this is a better made thing. Like even yes. if you want to sing merits of the original one, it's just not as good quality. It's like it's like apples to like not quite apples to oranges. It's like an apple seed to an apple. Agreed. So it's yeah, it's a good film. Go watch it. Yeah, yeah. yeah if you're <laughs> if you're curious about a lot of the you know, origins of um, noir in general. Go check it out. Uh, go read Altered Carbon if you prefer the modernized version of it. The show, eh, maybe. Maybe watch it. I don't know. That's that's more your bag than mine. I, I never finished it because it got to a certain point. I was like, nah. I'm waffling a lot in this one, aren't I? Apparently. Yeah, so let's head into socials. <laughs> yes. Get those done. <clears throat> you can go ahead and uh, follow us, subscribe, and leave reviews, comments, and likes on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. We are on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, Podbay, Podomatic, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, YouTube, all of your favorites, but we are hosted on Spotify for podcasters? (laughs) Question mark? Thank you, Spotify. So yeah, we we didn't make a switch. Uh, I just went to upload an edited episode for Planet of the Apes, I guess, and I clicked on my Anchor bookmark. And it took me to Spotify for podcasters. And best as I can tell, Anchor was absorbed by Spotify for podcasters. So um, technically, yeah, we're, we're hosted by Spotify, I guess. Um, oh. I, I didn't switch uh, intentionally. Well. It just kind of happened. Well, in, in one final case, thank you, Anchor. Uh, and now, yes. thank you, Spotify, I guess. That's, that's how it goes. That's how it happens. Which they don't need my thanks. They're Spotify. They'll be fine. <laughs> yes. Oh, but uh, yeah, and go ahead and uh, send us an email. They remade it at gmail.com with any comments about the show, uh, potential future episodes ideas. Uh, we do read those and take them into consideration. Anything you like about mm-hmm. the show, hate about the show, let us know uh, how Altered Carbon turned out if you ended up reading or watching it. You know, we'll read all those. 
we enjoy, we enjoy your comments. Definitely. And go Makes ahead. Us, we love some sweet, solid validation. <laughs> I love getting validation from anywhere that I can because I'm sorely lacking in my life. But uh, uh. <laughs> speaking of getting validation from strangers, go ahead and follow us at Remade on Twitter for uh, updates about when potential or updates on when episodes are going live, potential future episodes, things uh, that we've been playing and watching that we've covered about uh, covered on the show, and uh, full circle diagrams I've been putting together regarding actors and actresses that we've covered more than once. And that is it for socials. Hmm. And just such a just such a lore update to not have anchor. I fully didn't expect that one. Yeah. <laughs> After I, all this waffling, I was like, "What?" I was si- I was sitting on it, but yeah. Then. <laughs> Sometimes they are changing in the sense that they are hardly changing at all. But you know, I. And no, I do not watch the news anymore. I try not to. I haven't watched the news in an eternity, but yeah, I think I watched. I think I briefly watched a. I've been going to the gym more often, and they just have like a bunch of TVs just with a bunch of different channels. Which one reminds me that daytime TV is mostly a lot of crime, uh, like cop and crime dramas, um, which I forgot about that. Um, but then too, whenever what brief snippets I can get of whatever news they have on there, I just kind of look up, see some of the close captioning on there, and I'm like, okay, I'm good for the next week. <laughs> what was described there? I'm good. I watched. Oh Judge, boy! I, I watched Judge Judy at the gym. They actually do show Judge Judy at the gym. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I do it. No, I, I I'm telling the truth. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, because I go like... Monday, I go Mondays and Wednesdays right now after work, and she's always on. Hmm. Yeah, it's that. It's, it's that on one screen. Uh, whatever the modern equivalent of Jerry Springer is on the next, and then um, Criminal Minds. So we got the got the full range of the daytime round out there. One of the TVs at my gym shows like Larry King on an in, on infomercials, and I'm like, these have, these are fucking old. He's been in the ground for a long time. Like, it's very strange. I have not investigated further. I, mean, I don't know how to top that one. <laughs> like, that's the, that's the most unique one. I, I, unique one yet. <laughs> I, I think I'll round it out there if you're good with that. Yeah, sure, definitely. As always, I am your host Stuart. Oh, and I, I'm your host Jacob. Enjoy some daytime television with your workout, folks. And go see, go find this mythical Larry King channel. He'll live on in our hearts that way. That can be your Maltese Falcon. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Good night, everybody.